what is a virus? Are viruses alive? And why should we care? This and much more will be discussed in this episode of The Viral Talk. But before we get to that, I will kindly ask you to subscribe, to follow to The Viral Talk on Instagram and Twitter, for which the links will be provided in the show notes down below. And if you feel like it, also leave a review on the episode on podchaser.com. The link for this will also be present in the show notes. That will be massively appreciated. Thank you very much. But now, without further ado, let's get viral. Hello and welcome to The Viral Talk, the podcast that makes virology easy. I'm your host, Federico De Angelis, and I will make my utmost best to explain in simple and digestible terms the most disparate topics of virology. But now, why viruses? Well, the fact is that we live in a world of viruses. They are everywhere, and there is no organism on planet Earth that is not infected by them, that we know of at least. There is an unfathomable number of viruses in the world, so large that it is even difficult to grasp at times. Say for example the sea. It is thought that a teaspoon of seawater contains an average of 50 million viruses. So if you were to scale up, this would mean that a liter of water contains more viruses than there are people on Earth. But don't worry though. The vast majority of these seawater viruses are actually bacteriophages, or, to put it simply, viruses that kill bacteria. So they're not harmful to us, they cannot infect us. But on another note, it is also important for me to stress that not all viruses are necessarily detrimental. You see, we have been conditioned to think that viruses equals infection, disease and pandemics. And that is certainly true. But it's not all of it. The huge abundance of viruses in the sea would be a very good example for this as well. And I promise this is the last time that I'm trying to use this as an example. Viruses in the sea, as I said before, they kill bacteria and other unicellular organisms. And uh, when this happens, these unicellular organisms release their content in the sea, effectively uh, allowing for a recycling of nutrients, they are then eaten up by slightly bigger organisms such as like plankton and amoebae, which are then food for other sea-bound organisms. So it is estimated that without seawater viruses, the nutrient recycling would not happen as it does today, and this would have massive impacts on the ecosystems. But enough about sea. What about us? So what is the relevance for us? Well, as I said, viruses are everywhere. And I'm pretty sure we have all understood in the past years that they can have massive implication in every aspect of our lives. But if we were to put SARS-CoV-2 aside and the COVID-19 pandemic that we're still in, viruses are still more prevalent than I believe it is generally understood. Take, for example, the herpes virus. Once it is caught, and it is caught by at least half the global population worldwide, if not even more, 
it stays with you for life, which means that you can never get rid of it. This means that at any given time, there is at least more than half the global population that is undergoing some form of infection. And that's only taking into account herpes. If we were to account about every other major virus, of which we will hopefully talk in the next episodes, such as flu, RSV, which is the respiratory syncytial virus, or papillomavirus, HIV, different seasonal coronaviruses, such as OC43 and 229E. I mean, you get the point. Viruses are everywhere, they infect us all the time, and they're very important for any aspect of our life, because you never know when the next pandemic might come. And so I do think it's very important for us to deep delve deep into these topics in order to better understand what a virus is, how it behaves, and how what are the measures that we can use to counter them, but in a very informed way, rather than relying on either incomplete or incorrect information often coming from the media. And this is not to throw shade at the media. I mean, I get it. Journalists have to sell papers, and oftentimes they take the information that is given by science and more often than not misinterpret it and transform it in a title that will sell lots of papers, that will make lots of interactions on social media or on the journal sites online. So I do believe that Programs like this are necessary for a more informed people so that we can read whatever journal, whatever title is coming up in, in the press and understand it better or critically think about it. And now that I've given my two cents uh, about the media science communication bit, I think it's time to tackle the title of this episode. So... What is a virus? In order to discuss it, I thought of starting from a relatively boring textbook definition. And from then on, to dissect it, make it simple, so that anybody can get a rough idea of what each of the words used in this definition mean. So here it is. According to a textbook, a virus is an infectious, obligate intracellular parasite made up of genetic material, either DNA or RNA, often coated by protein and sometimes by a lipid membrane. Now I know what you're, got, what you're thinking. Fed, I don't know what all of this means. Sure, you, I might have heard and I might know what DNA or RNA means, what proteins are, what lipids are, but if you give me a definition like this, I'm never going to understand it. And that's totally fair enough. So let's break it down. So infectious, let's start from the beginning. A virus is an infectious obligate intracellular parasite. With the term infectious, we, virologists, but in general biologists, identify an organism that can spread between either cells or individuals. Be these individuals either of the same species such as, for example, SARS-CoV-2 that goes man-to-man, -man, or flu that goes man-to-man, -man, or between different species. And this is often the case for zoonosis events, which we're going to talk about in another episode. 
then we have the definition of obligate intracellular parasite. So a parasite is an organism which takes resources from another organism in order to obtain either nutrients, to grow, or multiply, and often in a way that directly or indirectly harms its host, so the individual it's infecting. Obligate intracellular simply means that it has no other way of doing so. So an obligate intracellular parasite has no other way of growing and reproducing if not getting inside a host, inside another individual, inside their cells. Moving forward, we have made up of genetic material, such as DNA or RNA. Now, I know that probably most of the people listening to this podcast know what DNA is. It's basically our genetic material, it's our genetic information, it's what defines us and makes us grow the way it is. Viruses are actually an, an exception in nature, because apart from some of them, there is no other organism in the world that has a genetic material made of RNA. RNA, it sounds like DNA, it's a slightly modified version of it. So DNA is made of four nitrogen bases, preferably adenine, cytosine, thymine, and guanine, and is double-stranded. This means that it exists as a double, quote-unquote, filament made of these four bases alternating with each other. And these four bases are complementary, meaning that each C or cytosine binds with each guanine and each adenine binds with each thymine. RNA, on the other hand, is made of A, C, G, but it doesn't have a T, it doesn't have a thymine, rather it has a uracil or a U, which is a very similar molecule that is lightly, has got some slightly differences from a chemical point of view. Additionally, RNA is usually, but not always, there are exceptions, and throughout this podcast we're going to encounter them, uh, single-stranded. So while DNA is double-stranded, so as the famous alpha helical structure of the DNA, RNA is actually only one single filament. According to the definition, then, we have that this genetic material that they contain is often coated by proteins. Now, a protein coat is simply a form of capsule that contains the genetic material. So it, it contains either DNA or RNA, and it protects it from the exterior. You know, the outside environment is actually very dangerous for a virus because low temperatures can freeze it over, or uh, the UV light coming from the sun can actually harm the DNA or the RNA, which if it's exposed to, the, to a surface without any form of protection, will degrade it, will destroy it. Lastly, some viruses can have a lipid membrane, which is a, simply an additional form of protection that not all viruses have, and in fact is not mandatory for every virus to have. So there you have it. A virus is an organism that, one, is able to spread between individuals, two, takes nutrients and other resources from the organisms it infects in order to reproduce and to spread, three, in order to reproduce and to spread, this organism has to get inside a cell, and four, this organism is made up of DNA, or its modified counterpart RNA, contained within a shell made of proteins, and sometimes a fat or lipid layer. So now that we know what a virus is, what it does, 
I believe it is also important to address another question, which is widely debated in the scientific community. And the question is, are viruses alive? The answer to this question is somewhat complicated, so we will address it step by step. And I want to point out that the answer that I might have might not be entirely shared in the virology community, simply because it gets into semantics and it can be debatable. Because to answer this question, we need to understand the type of life cycle viruses have. Viruses are fundamentally organisms with two phases. The first phase is the virion phase, or the infectious particle phase, in which viruses have the shape and form that we all imagine. So in the case of SARS-CoV-2, it is the sphere with the stubs on its surface, which are the spike proteins. Basically, the images that we've all seen during the pandemic, during lockdown, that were discussed in the news. And that is its extracellular form, when it is not infecting anyone. In this phase, every virus is effectively dead. It cannot do anything. In fact, the only thing that it can, that it can do is that they can infect, but it's only a piece of genetic material coated in some protein. It cannot produce any form of energy, it cannot react to external pressures, it is unequivocally dead. However, when it infects the cells and enters its intracellular phase, it is able to reprogram the cell to make more virus, to reproduce and spread. And in this instance, the infected cell, which is a part of the reproduction cycle of a virus is undoubtedly alive, because cells are alive. In this case, these cells have just been taken over. So in this way, we try and disentangle the matter. You could say that viruses have the potential to be alive, but only when they infect the cells, because when they're environmental, they're doubtlessly dead. And other virologists, other people could have a slightly different opinion and just say they're dead and what's alive is just a cell. However, during infection, cells are effectively hijacked by viruses. And this also leads me to the final point of this episode, which I think is extremely important and gets constantly overlooked. You see, it is very dangerous from a scientific point of view, to humanize viruses. In fact, I mean, it's something that I've done myself before, it's something that is constantly done by the media, the information sites and journals. That's because it makes it easier from a non-expert audience to understand what viruses do within a cell. However, viruses cannot be thought as active agents. Viruses are passive agents. They do not achieve goals, they do not think, they do not act. In fact, everything that has to do with a virus infectious life cycle has to be thought from a passive way. Viruses are in the environment and they by chance stumble upon a cell that they can infect thanks to their receptor binding protein, which is the protein on their surface, for SARS-CoV-2 it is the spike, that can bind to a protein on the surface of a cell. And then from there on, the infectious cycle starts. But it's all from a 
passive event. The reason I'm saying this is because I've seen many journals, many journal titles saying, uh, oh, the virus wants to become faster replication. The, the virus wants to spread faster. But that's not how we virologists intend and understand how viruses behave, quote unquote. Because it's actually it's true that it is more beneficial for a virus to spread faster, to reach higher proportions of the population, just because it can increase in numbers and establish itself into a population. But that's not because the virus wants to do it. It's just that evolutionarily speaking, a virus that is able to spread faster and infect other organisms in an easier fashion will become the dominant one. Having said so, we have reached now the end of this episode. So before saying goodbye, I would like to thank you very much for listening to me on The Viral Talk, for listening to the podcast The Viral Talk. It really has been a pleasure for me to talk about this topic. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to either recommend it to a friend or help the podcast grow, please feel free to do so. It would be a massive help. Additionally, a thing that would really help would be to leave a review on this episode on podchaser.com, for which the link will be provided in the show notes. Lastly, if you'd like to keep up to date with the release schedule or would like to have some sneak peek for each following episode, Follow The Viral Talk on Instagram at the underscore viral underscore talk and on Twitter are at the underscore viral underscore talk. See you next time and don't forget to go viral.